Hello. Hello, John. How are you? Hello, Dan. What's going on? What's up with you? Uh, I'm tired. Oh, um, what happened? Uh, Why so tired? Well, last night at about one o'clock in the morning, I realized um, that my other podcast, Friendly Fire, was recording a special episode, and I hadn't watched the movie. Um, and the special, you know, special episodes recording today after I'm done with you. And so I started to watch this movie at two o'clock in the morning. Hmm. What and movie so, was it? Can you say, or is it a, a surprise? Oh, I can say it's a movie by J.J. Abrams called Overlord. Oh, I haven't seen that one. It's a, uh, it's by special episode, I mean, um, for donors. We do an episode every month of a war movie that's technically not a war movie. Okay. And uh, this one is like a, it's a zombie war movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> so in addition to being very late at night watching this movie, it was also a scary movie. Lots of startles and, mm. you know, fast zombies, slow zombies, all the zombies. Mm-hmm. Are you so, affected? You are know. you affected by fear in movies? Like, is that a thing that that you get scared and? I feel like startle. Uh huh. The jump scares. The jump scares. I think that's the lowest form of art. People <laughs> love it though. <laughs> no, it is. I hate jump scares. Yeah, but like, come on, really? Like, oh, uh, every time some. So you, what happens is you you end up you end up not trusting the movie, or you just you're like Very you're good. tense Very through the point. whole thing. It's not ten- you're not tense because of the plot. You're just tense because you know something's going to jump out at you, and it's just yeah. Uh, Overlord, you know, inter- an interesting movie. So, uh, so I didn't. You know, it's not like two thumbs down or anything. But well, pe- people people who listen to our show, and then as you know, people that listen to our Patreon content, it's a smaller group. People that listen to this show and Friendly Fire, an even smaller group, and then people that are listening to the Friendly Fire bonus content. Now we're talking about a hand, handful of people that cross over into both Venn diagrams. I could probably give them my entire review and it wouldn't spoil anything. Mm-hmm. That's not what you and I do. No, of course not. But I am... I am 100% still asleep. So you could power a suggestion right now, Dan. You could, because uh, I did the thing. I did the thing that I, I that I that I say I can do, but never quite trust myself to do. But last night, I when it was time to finally go to bed, I looked around for my phone. Couldn't find it. Didn't want to get up and search for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, I'll wake up. <laughs> Now that's pretty tricky because mm-hmm. it was almost five in the morning. But uh, you know, it was the it was the it was one of those times. Like I know I can do this. I never put it to the test, but went to bed at five and I woke up at ten forty eight. Dan just woke up, looked around, got up searched the house for my phone, found it, and realized that I'd woken up 12 minutes before our show is supposed to start. Mm. 
So I don't think that it's I don't think it's quite a superpower, but but it's definitely like a, a thing I've cultivated. It's pretty cool. Yeah, because it's not it's not like I wake up at the same time every day. You know, I hear people our age complain about the fact that if they go to bed at five, it doesn't matter. They're always going to wake up at seven a.m. No matter me, what. Man, that's that's been my life for forever. Yeah, and that's a you know that's it's that's a skill, but also kind of a torment, I imagine, because you'd like to be able to sleep in sometimes. I would like I would like to be able to make a choice. I'd like to be able to have a choice in how long I sleep for and when I wake up. That would be nice. And so I, sometimes I can do that. And I there was a period of time post college where you know when I was like first starting out with the job and everything, and I could. Be, and some of this actually I think was even in college when I was going to sleep, I would say, I would like to wake up tomorrow at seven and I might set my alarm for seven Oh five or seven fifteen or something, but I was, I want to wake up at seven and I would kind of focus on that and then I'll fall asleep and I'll wake up at seven or I want to wake hmm. up at seven thirty, and it would, it would just happen. Uh-huh. And I never tried like, I'm going to wake up at 10 or 12 or something. It was always within a, you know, an hour or so time frame, but I was able to do it like to the minute. I want to get that back. But the frustrating part for me, I don't know if this is a problem for you. If I wake up within like an hour and a half of when I need to wake up, I'm pretty much going to have to be up because I'm, I, w- I won't be able to fall back to sleep. So if I need to be up at, I'm making this up seven and I wake up at six Oh five, most people be oh god, I can sleep for another hour. But for me, it's like well, I just won't. I like I won't. My mind won't fall back to sleep most of the time. Sometimes I get lucky, but I don't have the thing where where I'm. I don't really resist sleep. I think the way that you've described you do at night, where you're just like fighting, fighting the urge to sleep and staying awake. I I try to be. I try to the opposite. I try to go to bed earlier, and I'm not good at that either. I like to to try though. Yeah. I wish that, um, I wish that sleep was, a, was a, you know, and I'm, I know I'm not alone here. There are millions of people that wish this, but like why sleep is such a, so, is so like healthy sleep is so elusive for so many, so of us. many people, all of us. I don't know what the, you would think that, it should be the easiest thing in the world. It should just be, it should be a choice. You should be able to, because con- we control, I mean, we don't, first of all, we don't control anything. That's an illusion. But like, if you need to go to the bathroom, you can kind of hold it. If you're, you know, if you have to carry something that's heavy, you can push yourself and carry the heavy thing. You know, if, if you need to really focus, you can just focus. You know, if you want to breathe faster, you can breathe faster. Like all of these things that we do, that we can do, you would think sleep would be like, well, I'm, I, I require rest now. And you just say, it is time to sleep and close your eyes and I will see you in eight hours and open your eyes in eight hours. But it, it's so weird. And I, I feel like human beings are the only creatures on the planet that seem to have that issue. If you've ever, you have a cat now. You know, cats mm-hmm. don't have any problem sleeping. It seems like dogs, I've never owned a dog, but it seems like they're pretty good at it. My hamster always used to sleep just fine. I think all my iguana ever did was sleep. 
But human beings, we've got all these issues. And maybe it's just the modern world. Maybe it's the modern world. Maybe if we were living the way we were meant to live, you know, subsistence living and working hard every day, walking and, you know, living in a group of about 20 or 30 other people that all know each other, go to sleep when the sun goes down, wake up when it comes up in the morning and eating like stuff we hunted and farmed. Maybe we would all sleep great every night and it would be like, what are you talking about? Human beings sleep great. I think it must be a product of our modern world. I mean, what does my sister always say? That human beings are the only animals that that uh, voluntarily hold their breath or, right. or hold their breath for no reason? I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do that the other ones can't other do. Be- yeah. Other creatures can't. I mean, I don't. I Is don't, it true I that don't... something else can't hold its breath? Like when if you if you took a dog and threw it in the middle of a lake, it's not going to try and breathe underwater. It's going to hold its breath while it's submerged and breathe again when yeah, it comes but, back up. But that's involuntary, right? I mean, Is it? Th- there's no animal that there's no animal that can sit and just like I'm going to hold my breath. How do we or know? No animal that. How do we know they can't? Like, I don't, I'm not disagreeing, but I'm curious about this. Like, how do we know that they can't hold their breath also? I feel like they can. We just, they don't want to. Oh, they don't want to. How do you train, how do you convey to an animal, okay, buddy, hold your breath. Like, you can't, how can you do that? Do you plug its nose? And then how are they testing that the dog can't hold its breath? I think it could if it wanted. It just doesn't want to. Well, this may be a semantic problem because I'm not sure I could tell or would care to tell the difference between an animal that could hold its breath but never does and never has and yeah. an animal that can't hold its breath. I feel like all I'm animals sure can do it. I'm sure that they are physiologically capable of it, but if they have never done it, then it's a, then it's a moot point. Then the question of holding your breath voluntarily becomes a matter of the word voluntary rather than can or can't. Yeah. I mean, voluntarily is the big thing, but how do we know, how do you get into the mind of the animal to, to know if it wants to or not? Yeah. I think that we're, we're at cross purposes in this question. I'm just, now I'm really into just philosophically, can an animal, could it hold its breath if it wanted? How do you get it to want that? Well, on another topic, I actually have a question for you, and it's the kind of question that we would ask in the after show, and maybe we shouldn't answer it here. Maybe we should answer it in the after show as an enticement to get people who are not supporters, the, th- the tens of thousands of people who listen but don't, don't listen to the after show and don't support the show, to listen to it. But I, want, I wanted to get your take on this. I have one, too. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if you would be willing to, on as, as today as we record this, on the, uh, the verge of the final presidential debate before the election, if you would be willing to make a prediction about who will win the election. Oh, really? I'm curious to hear your prediction. Is that something you would do maybe on the after show? Because I want to oh, get sure. into your, your thinking there. I'll talk, I'll talk politics on the after show. You okay. know I love to do it. All right, we'll do it. It'll maybe be our last one. Before the apocalypse before. or before the election? <laughs> What's the difference? Um, hmm. 
Well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll find have out. we'll have one more. We'll have one more before then. So. Well, and I I don't know if we'll know better or know know less, but yeah, happy to talk about it. And maybe so. If people want to support us and get the after shows, they can go to patreon.com slash roadwork. And then they'll get the after show. And they also get a, a, this show without sponsors in it. If they donate $5 or more uh, per month, they get that. That's nice. That's a good deal. It's a, it's cheap. It's nothing. Yeah. I wish that more people supported our Patreon, but you know, we, we, um, that's the we real show. A, like this is the preview of the real show. That's the takeaway yeah, for people. We 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 talked about that a, a lot between the two of us earlier this year. That the yeah. that the after show is a thing that I really enjoy doing, and maybe we should just make it the real show. But this I, is kind I of ran the, that the, the opening act for the real show in your parlance. I ran that by a lot of our listeners. I went over to Gary's Van, the oh. uh, the Facebook Facebook place where Roadwork listeners congregate, and I think a lot of people there uh, pushed back and said that they liked the they liked the publicly available Roadwork show. They didn't want it all to go behind a curtain. So right. So here we are. So I, I wanted to tell you a little thing that happened just right before the show because I thought it was interesting. Um, so I'm at the little studio that I have here in Austin, and um, it's just in a little, it's in a building. I think, you know, they have different classes for buildings. There's a class A, B, C. I don't know if there's anything below a C. Uh, but like a class A building would be a really fancy building with marble floors and nice elevators and good carpeting. And maybe uh, usually um, in a class A, you're going to have amenities in the building, such as a restaurant or cafeteria, um, meeting rooms, you know, a nice, a real nice digs, like where a, like a nice lawyer would set up yeah. shop. And then a class B is still a nice building but doesn't have those amenities. It might have a vending machine and, and public restrooms to use, but that's about it. But it still has decent carpeting and like, it's it's fine. Maybe good parking. And then a class C, I believe is it has none of those things. And it's more just, you kind of walk up and walk right into the, to the office. So I think, although this is retail and not office space, if you imagine like a strip mall kind of a place, I think that might qualify as as like a class C in a sense, but there if you've ever been to like an acupuncturist or a massage therapist or like an independent uh, insurance office or something like that, you know the kinds of places that I'm talking about where you kind of walk up and there's just shops or or not necessarily shops, but like offices and private offices and maybe there's a lawyer in there who doesn't who's rejected the corporate space and you know those kinds of offices. That's what we're in. And our next door neighbor is some kind of, they're, they're either, I don't know, land development or something like that. So they're not quite architects, but they're not contractors either. There's something in between. And, uh, and generally speaking, they're, they're pretty quiet and kind of stay out of the way. But then all of a sudden, this, just this week, uh, they've been coming in with uh, their, their kids. They've been showing up with kids. Now, as you know, John, oh. I, I have two kids uh one is nine and one is about to turn delightful kids and they uh when they play 
They do the things that the kids do. They make noise. They scream. They shout. They laugh. They run around uh, and all of that stuff. Um, for some reason, the, the people have been bringing their kids over into the office. I don't know why. It's not a big deal. It wouldn't be a big deal. I brought my kids. When I bring my kids, I give them instructions. I say there will be no shouting. There will be no yelling. There will be nothing like that. You guys can bring your iPads or your switches. You can use headphones. You can sit on the sofa right there or on this desk and do the stuff that you want to do. And they come in and they do it, and they're quiet, and they have conversations at the same volume that you and I are talking right now. And if they get a little bit loud, I say, guys, time to be quiet. And they say, okay. And... um they're respectful. And all I need to do is say there are other people working and not besides just me. There are other people in the adjacent offices who appreciate quiet. We're in a workplace and they get it. They just get it. Um, now they're nine and almost 13, but I've had an office here in Austin for about 10 years and I've brought them to the office many, many times. And even when they were very, very little, they were really good about this. Uh, so, I don't I don't think my children are exceptionally well-behaved or anything. I think they're average. And I think that kids will take any degree of um, any any yardage you give them, they'll take it. So if you explain it to them and tell them what to expect and what they need to do and what the consequences are, I think generally speaking, if especially if you start out raising them that way, that they're going to respond pretty positively to that when you say, okay, guys, this is where now we're going to be quiet here. Uh, so these kids come over and there's been a dad, the dad has been bringing his two boys with them uh, into work and they're not exceptionally rowdy, but they run up and down a lot and they're shouting and stuff like that. And I don't mind that unless I'm making a podcast or a, or a YouTube video. And during those times, of course, it's not like I need silence. I've done a lot to insulate the walls and acoustic paneling and other things that you can do and the walls are, are decent, but it still reads through and you can, you can still hear it. So this guy would come and it's, and this is, I'm getting to the point of the question, but I got to tell the story first. So the guy would come and he would, the the very first time, you know, he'd open the door and slam the door and the kids are running back and forth and shouting and throwing each other against the wall, it sounds like, and making lots and lots of noise. The extent of noise is so much that even, even the most lenient parent like me would, would think, you know, that's a lot of noise for two kids to be making, really, you know, especially in an office. It's not like they're home in their house or in their backyard. Uh, they're, in, they're in a public place and, and they're going completely wild. So the time came that I had to record. So I uh, knocked on the door and said, hey, you know, we record over here next door. We are a podcast and video studio right next door. And... Um, and, and so we would appreciate it if you could, you know, maybe keep, oh, oh, okay, no, no problem, no problem. Sorry about that. Sorry, I didn't know. Okay, you didn't, you didn't know, but that's cool. And then they would be quiet. And then you would think that would do it because now that man, the dad, like me, he's a dad like us, John, he's like us. He's been given information. We're a recording studio next door. He knows that. And... He knows that the kids were making noise and he knows that he felt, he felt bad about it. Okay. So the next day, guess what? Same exact thing happens. Kids come in, they're running around, throwing each other around. It's like nothing had happened the day before at all. Knock on the door again. So, oh, by the way, you know, we record over here. We're about to start. Um, 
It'd be great if y'all could, oh, so sorry, okay, yeah, okay. This happens like three or four times over the last couple of weeks. At no point did, did it register with him or did he care that something might be going on that wasn't about him and, and his kids. And so today there's more kids. There's who I think is the mom in there today and the noise and everything is amped up like crazy, like way louder than ever before. Um, so it's almost time to record. I can hear the commotion over there. Totally wouldn't have been able to record at all. So I knock on the door and, uh, I, there's the, you know, the little thin glass panels that are on the side of the door you can see through. Uh, so I'm, I'm standing there, I'm looking, I'm looking in at them and I'm watching the kids running up and down. Um, and then the, the mom is there and she's just sort of, you know, 10 feet away down their hall, looking, looking at me through the through the thing, no, watching me knock and stand there. And she's made, not moving, not doing anything, just looking at me. And I, you know, John, we've met. I don't think I come across as a physically imposing or threatening person. I wasn't wearing a mask. I mean, maybe that makes me threatening, but I don't think so. Um, but so I knock again and she kind of reluctantly comes to the door and she already knows. She already knows why I'm, I'm knocking, even though she's never been here before. Of course she knows. So same thing. I say, hey, um, I'm sorry to bother you, but uh, we're recording next door. We have a recording studio. And um, I, I was wondering if you could maybe keep it down a little bit. And she immediately switched into attack mode. And I said it, I said it just the way that I said it to you just now. Um. She goes into attack mode. Well, you know, our kids are, are they have to uh, virtual school. And so I'm sure you can be accommodating. You're going to have to be accommodating to that. Very like, like a harpy. And so I, I said, well, I said, I understand. I said, I, I have two kids myself. Uh, I said, but we are, you know, we, we do recordings here and um, we, you know, we can't do those if the noise is, is happening. So. Maybe you could keep it quiet. Well, you know, uh, it's it's really tough. You have kids and you know that uh, you're going to have to accommodate what we're doing. You're going to have to. And I said, I said, well, okay, thank you for uh, for keeping it down. And so I, w- I was thinking to myself, the only reason why she was switched into such a, a aggressive mode, especially because, and so I came back in and I, I, I asked Hattie, who was, you know, right there. I said, did I, did I sound aggressive or... Or anything that she said, no. She said, you sounded very nice. You said, you sound polite. I said, did you hear how she responded? She's like, yeah. I'm like, what do you think that was? So my theory is, and I want you, I know you know people, John. I think she knew that what she was doing was not cool. And I think she felt bad about it. But rather than taking accountability and responsibility for it, instead of that, I think her defense mechanism was to, to try and push it off, to put it on me that I'm somehow, I'm in the wrong. I need to accommodate them. It's okay for the kids to run. It's okay for them to make noise. It's okay for them to slam the door as many times as they want. I need to accommodate that. So what's that about? Well, the... The example that it that springs to mind is um, people and their dogs, mm-hmm. and 
there are a lot of people in the world and um, although fewer than I would uh, than I would have expected I think who understand that dogs are um, a reflection of their owners and a dog's training is the responsibility of its owner. Right. And ultimately a dog's behavior is the responsibility of its owner. Right. Um, and so if their dog is being unruly, if their dog is disturbing other people, if their dog is, um, you know, barking all night, that that reflects on the owner and is the responsibility of the owner. Right. But then there are a lot of people, and as I've gone through life and grown older, I feel like it is in some in some way the majority of people who believe that dogs are natural, pe- natural people themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> they have their own will and their own personalities that uh, human beings shouldn't interfere with. Ownership of dogs is some kind of natural right. <laughs> right. And uh, ownership of dogs in cities, in apartment buildings, in close proximity to other people is part of nature. And that um, so so that a, so that the human owner is not responsible for the behavior of the dog. The human owner is not culpable for it. Uh, that, that a, a human owned dog is part of the natural world. So if a dog is outside your window barking all night, that's not their problem. Right. That's just it's, what dogs do. That's just what dogs do. And, I've been in situations where I've had that conversation with people and I've said, that's just what, just what dogs do. You know, what humans do is they kill their neighbor's dog in the middle of the night. (laughs) Did you say that in the conversation? I have said it once. (laughs) How did that go? I didn't that's live what we next all want to the, say. I didn't live next to the person. It was a situation <laughs> where I was I was in a place very briefly. So I I knew that I wasn't burning a bridge that I was going to have to look at this person every day for the for 15 years. Uh it made them, you know, they they went away at that point. I you know, whether or not the dog like I have no idea whether I got any satisfaction out of that moment because this has been a reoccurring theme for me my my adult life that someone i mean there was a person down the block here it doesn't bother us but there was a house for sale for a long time it finally sold after they moved in the first thing they did was build a five-foot fence around the whole front yard oh, wow. which is you know sizable front yard but 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 not a not a wood fence like a like a, a wire fence like the kind of fence you would build to hold in livestock and then one day there was a golden retriever out there that was one of these dogs that anything moving on the street, it ran back and forth the length of the fence line, barking like a crazy person. And I, I, I only encounter this dog when I go for walks, but there are 10 neighbors that are in 
close enough earshot to this dog that it would be a any time the dog was outside it would it would absolutely change the environment of your home and mm-hmm. and in some cases maybe a home you've lived in 20 years is now a different home a different place to live entirely because there's a there's a loud aggressive and irritating sound happening you know the, the thing is that human beings are um like the sound of an and uh, a barking, like a furiously barking dog is a sound that triggers us. Mm-hmm. It's not a neutral sound. It's not like white noise. It sounds like an attack. It's meant to sound like an attack. A dog isn't barking and, you know, that's not a neutral thing. But in confronting people about their dogs and realizing that a lot of them take the same tact as that mom right out of the gate because – They've done the computation. They've been in this situation before, and they have concluded that they're not doing anything wrong. And so they are ready to fight. And and they'll fight you at like fundamental levels. Like do and, and a lot, it's it's so funny because I bet if you put all these people up on a political map. Because somebody that's like that has a purely libertarian heart, which is like I get to do what I want, you get to do with you what you want. The problem is that 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 true libertarians, the pure libertarians, also I think recognize that you get to do what you want as long as it doesn't interfere with other people's that's the rule ability to do what they want. Right. So it's not a it's not a pure libertarian heart. There there are just those people in the world that, and it's it's this it's a it's a consortium or it's a, it's a quora of people that there are the people that just don't care about you or anybody else besides themselves. There are the people that are absolutely oblivious to anyone else's cares or worries. There are the people that recognize they're, they're uh, a problem, but don't, but that's, that's your problem. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this, there's this kind of unholy coalition of people in the world that are inconsiderate and because the father, although he says, Oh yeah, 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 totally. Like he's a different brand of inconsiderate, Mm -hmm. but one that has just, and, and he's abdicated, you know, he's abdicated his responsibility and, I think a lot of people are over their heads. They're over their heads with their kids. They're over their heads with their dogs. And they, at some very early point, didn't train their dog. Because when you've got a puppy, puppy's cute. And then the puppy likes to play. Mm-hmm. You let the puppy play. And then... But it's a progression. Yeah, the puppy comes around the table and you feed it some scraps and then the puppy puts their paws up on the counter and you you give it a little bit of what you're cooking and then you go out for a walk and the puppy pulls 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 and you you know you run run along behind it kind of you know going like whoa slow down ha 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 and then pretty soon you have a full grown dog that eats off the counter that uh is not under voice control that 
does what it wants, thinks it's the leader of the pack, and you don't know how you got there. And you, I, and in a way, I, I think you weren't raised properly, right? Because right. if you were raised properly, you would have had a dog and been taught by a grown-up that here's how you train a dog. It's part of parenthood that you teach your children well. And one of those things is if that kid is ever going to own a dog, it needs to understand that you need to train a dog and mm-hmm. that you have to train a dog. We would like to thank Mint Mobile for making this show possible. Breaking up with your old wireless provider just got a whole lot easier. Thanks to Mint Mobile. They were the first company to sell premium wireless service online only. And now Mint Mobile is introducing their unlimited data plan for just 30 bucks a month. Now, let let that sink in for a second. An unlimited plan for 30 bucks. Uh, How much is your soon-to-be ex-wireless provider charging you? Yeah, why wouldn't you switch? For people that hate their phone bill and they're ready to cut ties with big wireless, here's Mint Mobile. They're offering their premium unlimited plan, like I said, for just 30 bucks a month. Though so you, you go online only. So you're eliminating all the traditional costs of retail. And they're passing those savings on to us, the consumers. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You use your own phone, With any Mint Mobile plan, you keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Everything else stays the same. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered. They have a seven-day money-back guarantee. So break up with Big Wireless. Switch to Mint Mobile's premium unlimited data plan for just 30 bucks a month. And how do you do it? You go to Mint, M-I-N-T, Mobile, M-O-B-I-L-E, mintmobile.com slash roadwork. That's it. That's all you got to do. Mintmobile.com slash roadwork. Go there. You will get this plan shipped free to your door. You're going to get it for 30 bucks a month, and it's going to be awesome. So thanks very much to Mint Mobile for making this show possible. So in living in the suburbs, I see people walk by all day being dragged behind a dog. No, it's un- unacceptable. An animal like that, an animal should not control you. Your own pet should not control you. And I see, I, you know, I see families where it's mom and dad out for a walk. Their kid is the one holding the leash and the leash and the dog is pulling the kid mm-hmm. and mom and dad are just like strolling along. Mm-hmm. And you know that that dog is nothing but, you know, what they get out of that dog is <clears throat> they get a happy friend who is, you know, who's like cuddly pal. But they also have a problem. A con- the dog is a constant problem. Um, and they and what they've done is they've recalibrated what they think is a problem or their lives already were poorly calibrated. And so the fact that this dog rules their house or runs their, you know, runs their family, they either don't know the difference or they feel like that ship has sailed. It's too late. And they're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to patch it together, they're trying to spackle around it. And I think it's absolutely true with kids. I've seen, I've seen so many parents um, who just don't know how to, don't know how the, like, and I think that the, the methods of, of having a well-trained dog and having a well-raised kid overlap quite a bit. Um, you cannot let your kid pull you around. You can, you know, you cannot let your kid dominate your life and rule your family 
And if you give, and there, uh, there are several examples in my own life of friends of my daughter where I watch the two kids grow up side by side, but, but her friend's parent is a parent that has a philosophy. And I know that you've met people whose philosophy is that you shouldn't ever say no to a dog. Have you ever met one of these people? Never. We don't say, we don't say no to our dog because it's... I've heard people do that with their kids, but not with a dog. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, we don't, we don't want to introduce negativity into the dog's life or whatever. <laughs> don't say no to the dog. But yeah. there are so many people that don't say no to their kids. Yes. And, um, and they just, they, you know, they raise kids that, uh, that just, I mean, the thing is a kid doesn't want that, right? A kid, a kid that's never been told no feels like the, the world is there's that the, no one's in charge. You know, a, a kid is terrified by someone that doesn't say no. And you raise a, a kid that's aggressive and fearful um, because they don't know what the boundaries are. That's what adults are there to do is build, make boundaries. Why I, we just kind of lost a friendship. Um, my daughter and her mother and one of her old friends and that mother went on a camping trip together. And when, you know, when my family came back, they said, we'll never go with them again. Cause the, the, the girl is almost 10 years old and if anything goes even slightly not her way, she has a, a temper tantrum and a temper. When, when this little girl had temper tantrums at age five, it's like, yeah, five-year-olds have temper tantrums, but 10 year olds shouldn't ruin a camping trip by having multiple temper tantrums over whether or not there's too much ketchup on her hot dog, you know, like crazy stuff. And you feel, you know, you feel sorry for the situation, but I watched this mother raise this kid and never put boundaries. And it's because she wanted to be her kid's best friend or she wanted to be a good mom, not a bad mom, not a bad mom that says no, not a bad mom that, that, um, you know, that denies her daughter any, any whim I think that's a, there's a lot of pet owners that are like that. You know, mm-hmm. they want to be the good pet owner. They want the pet to love them. Mm-hmm. They don't want to give that pet any discipline because the pet won't love them then. But also there are people with philosophies. Like I had a good friend. I don't know if I've ever told this story, but when his daughter was still a toddler, two or three, you know, he's trying to be a good dad. He's trying to be a good leftist dad. And someone got into his, some, well, not someone or got to. I mean, it's part of the part of an orthodoxy that he's adjacent to that had a new theory. And the theory was that um, that in order to raise a strong girl child, oh, that what you needed to do was never physically um, never touch a girl child without her consent. And this was a new orthodoxy designed to raise a generation of strong women that, that did not, um, 
did not feel that uh, non-consensual touch was okay. Mm-hmm. And so as you broke it down, and this is true of a lot of, of, of new orthodoxies, right? I mean, there's nothing that, that we love now in modern life more than a new hot take that's going to explain everything oh, and yes, change yes. the world. But it's been true for our whole lives. I mean, it was the it was the idea behind a lot of stuff. It's the idea behind busing, right? We're going to we're going to eliminate racial uh, r- racism by just by taking kids out of this school and putting them in that school, and then kids are naturally going to love each other, and 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 economic problems are going to be solved. Like the the story of the twentieth and twenty first century is we have a new hot take. And what we're going to do is experiment on a generation of kids to see if it's true. It sounds true, right? It sounds true, right? Let's do it. <laughs> and so there's this, you know, this new idea. And you can see the logic behind it. You can see that some social scientist or somebody at a university or somebody, you know, some somebody came up with the idea. Oh, wait. The reason that we have toxic masculinity is partly that... Um, young women are raised to expect uh, non-consensual touch. And it starts when they're toddlers and their parents, their fathers, um, you know, restrain them. And, and I think probably it extends to like tickle them or all, all the things, all the things that, that, uh, that constitute and and you can make your own theory about it, right? Like, what is the line between what is a reasonable thing for a parent to do and what would, you know, vaguely trend over into something that you would be doing that would lay the groundwork for a future situation where your daughter, now a teenager, would be in a situation and someone would touch her non-consensually and she would acquiesce to it because it was all she knew. Right. Now that that is that is a chain of you know that is that's a chain of imaginary kind of like what if what if what if statements kind of out into the fog and you're trying to decide like here's my here's a child somebody that I want to grow up to be a strong woman somebody that I want to never um just go silent when she's being attacked. Right. And so what do I do? Well, a lot, a lot of the orthodoxies are coming from people that are working in a very abstract space, right? I had, I had an idea. Non-consensual touch is an epidemic and, you know, and toxic masculinity is a hot take. Right. It's a, it's a condensation of an idea that someone had as a way of just, it's a metaphor for describing conditions on the ground. And once we get it, once we get that catchphrase and we can attach it to things like the foot, you know, high school football in Ohio, but also superhero movies and also mansplaining and pretty soon toxic masculinity becomes a way of describing a like a field of pyramids stretching to the horizon and you know and it's all got to get torn down 
So anyway, this friend of mine, a beloved friend, someone who wanted only the best for his child, became convinced that this was the way. This is the way. And he reported to me one time, shortly after adopting this idea, that he and his daughter, who was a toddler, went to the supermarket and they came out into the parking lot and he opened the car door for her and said, okay, hop up in the car. And she said, no. And he said, sweetie, we've got to go. And she said, no, I don't want to. He said, well, okay now, honey, we've got the groceries load. And, you know, he, because then he did the thing. He was like, well, I'll load the groceries and you, you know, you get in. And so he loaded the groceries and she wouldn't get in. And he said, okay, now, sweetie, I'm going to count to five. And he counted to five and she didn't get in. Now, anybody that's raised a kid knows this is absolutely normal. This is what a child does. But he couldn't touch her. Mm. He said, can I help you into the car? No. And tried a few things. And then he, trying to get going, reached out saying like, okay, I'm going to lift you into the car now. And he put his hands on her. And she'd been taught To say in a very loud voice. Oh, no. I can see um, where this is going. Take your hands off me. <sighs> bad touch, bad touch. Mm. And so she starts screaming it. Oh, man. And he immediately recoils in horror and terror. Because he knows what this means. Right now, everyone in the supermarket parking lot turns and here's a toddler, mm. a girl toddler and a man standing next to the door of an open car. That's all they see. And she's saying, unhand me, sir, as a toddler. And anyone who's raised a kid knows that this is, you know, how many times did you pick up your screaming kid and say, you're getting in the car? And they were like, no. Yeah, every, yeah. every day for a while. <laughs> and you're like, in the car, here we go, yep. buckled up, you know, and you keep your shit together. And you're, and the doctrine of this, you know, this philosophy of raising a girl child in a world um, that was, you know, that went out over whatever parenting blogs he was reading, um, that was condensed. I saw a meme of it, even, uh, a picture of a of a beautiful five-year-old and it said, if you want to raise a strong woman, never uh, ever touch her without her consent. And it's basically like a philosophy of child rearing that is kind of no deeper than a meme because you can't possibly be serious. You know, yeah. you cannot possibly. And a father picking up her his child and putting her in her car seat in a supermarket parking parking lot is not, this is the thing that makes it, uh, the, the, you know, identifies it as this kind of contemporary hot take culture. It's like, 
please put the threads together in a giant board on your wall and show me how that is going to make her susceptible to being raped when she's right. 16 at a drunken football party. Um, and, and like, I, but you, know, you understand tell, like the, the philosophy behind it is all about, you know, empowerment and te- teaching, oh, yeah. teaching the oh, child yeah. that it's their, that's their own body. It's their own space there, you know, and, and like all of that's valuable, but, and it all, you, it's all well-meaning people right. trying to do the right thing. But what they've done is they've taken their ignorance and they've transformed it into a philosophy of the world. Like, you would you would have to be incredibly but you know it's 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 that it's the kind of like the purity everyone's looking for a, the the purest and simplest answer and they believe that those answers exist and they believe that there's you know that they can do one simple thing and change the world and and it creates you know, it's 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 black and white thinking. We see it all the time. There's either a little girl that is raised as a strong woman who has body autonomy, or there's a woman that isn't, mm-hmm. and a woman that isn't is going to be one of these women that you know that that uh, a that a liberal mind can't comprehend, which is to say, you know, a woman that votes Republican or, you know, uh, a Latina who votes, votes Republican. Like, how is that conceivable? It must be that they were raised poorly. It must be that, that their father didn't give them body autonomy. <laughs> right. That's what makes inexplicable people. That's what makes these un, uh, unfathomable situations. These, these stories that come out where you're like, how is that possible? How did it happen? We need to make sure it never happens again. And the way to do that is, you know, don't paint your child's toenails, even though you desperately want to when she's two years old, because it's sending the wrong, you know, it's teaching her the wrong thing, all this stuff, which is just like trying to make, it's the opposite of, of of being educated and i know i've talked about this before the idea that there's a lot of people that think that the more educated you get the more answers you have when in fact the more educated you get the fewer answers you have right and it's so much harder to have no answers And to be a teacher that teaches teaches students and says at the end, you know, and so therefore we know that there are no solutions to this. There are no quick solutions. There are maybe no long-term solutions to it. But now you know about it and use your best judgment. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Godspeed. Mm-hmm. Every situation's different. Uh, but so we have, you know, we have a generation now that's highly educated and has been educated to expect that at a certain point there is an answer and they know it and are living according to it. So you've got a, you know, you've got a situation next door where you've got grown ups that aren't grown up. Right. But I need to accom- not, I need to accommodate that. 
Well, what you need to do, I think, in that situation, and the, the situation you're in is very hard for me personally because I am a burn-it-all-down type of person where if I had experienced what you've experienced, I would go to the mattresses. I would go into war mode. No. And I'd be thinking like, well, let's cut the power to their you know, to their business or let's, um, you know, let's, let's make it very hard for them to be outside because I'm going to hook up some, um, you know, some speaker that puts out a high pitched, but low volume sound that makes it incredibly unpleasant to be out in front of the office. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a go to war person when I've been insulted or when I feel like, because I'm somebody that like people like that, I feel like, uh, I don't, I, I don't want to compromise with them, but of course the people that have the easiest time in life are the ones that don't go to war with their neighbors. And it's easy, it's much easier for me to listen to your story and know what to do than it would be for me to know what to do if I were in your shoes. Mm -hmm. The thing is that you, what you've done is say, we record over here and we need it to be quiet. And what you mean is every day throughout the week for a period of a few hours, we are recording. The rest of the time, we are in here and it's an office and although your kids are super irritating, they're not actually affecting our recordings there at that point, your kids are just rude and you're rude, mm -hmm. but professionally there are a few hours every single day and they're, and we know what those are, hours are. They're not random. And during that time we're recording. And it needs to be quiet. Right. The whole, the whole reason we're, uh, we're here is to do this. And so, so we're going to hook up a red light and we've you know, got your phone number, you know, and we're going to turn that red light on. And the, when the red light's on, we need like silence mm -hmm. and when the red light goes off you can be noisy again you know i and i i actually had one of those in the prior office um we almost did it more for fun because we were positioned in a way that the the neighbors we couldn't hear them or anything and so I, like i think that's a respectful way to do it i think that's a nice way to do it um and it's not like we're requiring complete and total silence these people have been in there for a year or so uh, it's yeah, only right. now that there are kids coming and that they, uh, well, actually it's a little bit more interesting, but th that's a boring backstory. But the point is like the kids are now there and it, going back to your comment before about, well, dogs just bark. I actually had a next door neighbor and they had their dog tied up in the backyard 24 seven and it barked all the time. And I would sometimes get fed up and ask them and the, um, the person who was there a lot during the day was the the mother-in-law. And she looked at me once, and when I asked her the first time, I said, could you, you know, could you please bring the dog in? Um, you know, it's barking, and I think my, my boy was probably, you know, six months old trying to nap during the day. I kept waking him up. And I, I said, you know, it's waking up my son who's six months old trying to nap. She looked at me and she said, 
dogs bark and cats meow and shut the yeah. door. And it it was just sort of because because if if you gave me a choice, if if there was it, okay, so first of all, if I have a child or a dog or a cat or a pet or whatever, like you said in the beginning, it's my responsibility to make sure that that thing that I have or human or whatever it is doesn't in- inconvenience other people. The rule is nothing that I do should inconvenience other people. That's my rule. Right. That's if, mine too. If for some reason I don't realize that I'm doing something that is inconveniencing someone else. It's their obligation to tell me. I don't know if you knew this, sir, but this thing that you're doing is creating an inconvenience for me, in which case I will say, let's resolve that. Maybe it means I don't do the thing now. Maybe it means I do it another time. Maybe it means I can't ever do it. For example, if I live in an apartment building, I can't turn my stereo speakers up as loud as I want them. I have to turn them up just loud enough so that my neighbors can't hear the music. And if I don't like that, I shouldn't be living in an apartment building. Oh, well, that's all I can afford. Then I, then I deal with that by not playing the music loud. There are these awesome things called headphones. You put those on. Oh, well, I wanted to have a party. Did you have to have it there? Well, yes, I do. It's the only place I can have it. Then it's your obligation to get an okay from all of your neighbors that could hear it. And maybe that means you invite them to the party. Maybe it means you get their permission. Whatever it is, that's your obligation because you're now inconveniencing them. And you don't want to be inconvenienced. I promise that you don't want to be inconvenienced. And your neighbors will find a way to inconvenience you. And you won't like it. So instead, don't inconvenience people. But it's their obligation to let you know if you're doing that, right? And a lot of the time you don't know. Here's another example of a, I had a different neighbor. And the different neighbor, uh, she had a, a small little dog, never heard it, nothing like that, except sometimes she would go out and she started doing it. And when the weather was nicer, she would put the dog out in the back patio area in her yard and she would go and be gone for a couple of hours. The whole time that she was gone, the dog would howl. It was miserable being outside for whatever reason. It felt abandoned. It felt rejected, whatever. It had never done this when it was in the house, or at least we couldn't hear it if it did. But it did it consistently, and all the neighbors knew about it. So I wrote her uh, after like the third or fourth time. I said, there's something I've noticed I wanted to let you know about. Is that you're when when you when you go out in the evenings and leave your dog outside and it, and I actually listed the dates and times. Um, I said, you know, it it howls, and all of your neighbors can hear it. I figured you didn't know that it did that, but I'm letting you know that it did that. Guess what? She didn't know it was doing that, and as soon as she found out, she guess what? She felt bad for the dog. She didn't probably care about us. But she cared that her dog was miserable for three hours while she was gone. And that's a case where she didn't know. The, how would she know? Her dog doesn't howl when she's home. So how would she know what it's doing? I had other friends. Um, when I went my first house after, um, when I was first working professionally in the, in the uh, 90s, my next door neighbors had a dog. And they would put it in its crate during the day. And... 
they didn't know this, but they noticed the dog was having some other problems. So they set up like a little nanny cam type situation. And they found out that the dog, the whole time they were gone, was just in the crate howling. It was miserable. But they didn't know that because it never did that while they were home. So you have to give people the benefit of the doubt that maybe they don't know. So once you've informed them, though, it then becomes their responsibility. Whether it's their dog or their kids or whatever it is, it becomes, I think, I think it becomes their responsibility to mitigate that problem. And what that might mean is you talk to your kids and say, when we're at the office, you can't shout, you can't run, you can walk quietly, you can use your headphones and play your games and stuff. And if you can't do that, then we're going to have to do X. And you're not going to like X as much as you like coming with dad to the office. And they'll say, oh, yeah, you're right. I know I wouldn't want X. I like this better. So I guess I'll behave. And you can do that in a way that there's no yelling, there's no disciplining, there's no, you know, you're not even really telling them no. You're teaching them about being responsible. And that's what I don't understand about. And it's weird because, like, these people are our contemporaries, John. These people are, they're our age. They're in our generation. And yet they have a completely different framework for what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And I don't get that. That's the thing that puzzles me so much about it is there's, it seemed like when I was growing up, all my friends and their parents had the same kind of general attitude toward child rearing. It wasn't always good. And there, of course, where the the kid you'd feel bad for would come to school and like you could tell his like parent hit him or something like that was just a thing that happened. But I mean, generally speaking, like we, like the idea of my parents saying some for me to do something and me be saying no, but unthinkable, unthinkable. And, and I was never hit as a child. It's just, there was respect there. Well, my, they said not to do it. So I can't do it. And that's how my kids are. If I say, don't do that, they're not going to wait till you to leave. And then I'm going to do it. They don't do it. They won't do it. Even if there's no one watching and it's not through fear. I'm not a a frightening parent, you know, but I talk to them. I have conversations. I treat them like adults who happen to be small and they know I respect them. And so when I ask them or tell them to do something, they do it and they operate understanding those rules and constraints that I've given them boundaries, like you called it. They operate within those, even when I'm not there. Because they understand that I'm, a, I'm their teacher and I'm teaching them how to get by in the world. You know, I mean, that's my goal is to, is to teach them the things that they need to know to be successful people as best as I can. And so when you see something that's complete, if, if I had had my kids here and they were running up and down and the, uh, which I wouldn't let, I can't even put myself in that situation because I would never do that. But let's pretend. And the person next door knocked on my door and said, the stuff you're doing over here is inconveniencing me. I would be humiliated. I would be mortified. I would, I would feel horrible. And I would say, I am so sorry. You're right. I didn't even realize it. I should have thought about it. It won't happen again. That's the only thing that they can say. That is the only acceptable words for them to say. I am so sorry. You're right. It will not happen again. That's the only possible 
mindset that I can even have. The idea that I would tell them, well, my kids have to virtual school and they had to come here today, so you're going to have to accommodate it. What? Are you nuts? No, I don't have to accommodate anything, actually. Because this is not a thing that people who have offices and pay for them sign up for. Well, you do, though. You well, do though, if, because if you're next you're, door to a, a pediatrician. But I mean, you're you're now in the situation where what she's saying, which is you have to accommodate this, mm. is true to the extent that you're weighing what your possible options are, and there aren't many. <clears throat> what she's saying is what what it sounds like she's saying is, uh, for you to be a good citizen you need to accommodate this. That is what she's saying. And, and I'm, saying she's she's really, I'm saying she's wrong. <laughs> what she's really saying is you don't have a choice because I'm not going to do anything about it. So fuck you. That is what and, she's saying. But there is, there are, the, there are consequences to that. Well, what are those? Uh, I mean, there, there are not a lot of consequences to that, but well, see, but that's at the, the very, problem. There at the very least, any. at the very least, uh, and and then this is this is where I now have to feel I if I want to do something about it. And by the way, they left. They did leave eventually. Um, and then just to add as to further this anecdote, the dad returned by himself, and he just by himself in there is loud and bumping around. And so this is a children. Uh, this is these are children of people who themselves the parents are just noisy and unaware of what what they're doing and their own sounds that they make, their uh, bumpuses, for lack of a better term. So what do I have to do if I want to do something? I've got I've to be a tattletale. I've got to tattletale if I want to do Who anything Who are you going to tattle it. to? The landlord. Well, what's the landlord going to do about it? Say something to them and further humiliate them. It's a, but see how petty true? that is? Yes, yeah, they will do well, that. And they the landlord likes me. They love having us in here as as Well, in, in that case, why why are we even if the if the landlord if the landlord will do it? Because surely on their lease it says Yeah, it does. I have the I have the lease. I looked at it. Yeah. So in that case, why are why are, why did you even get involved past the third time you talked to him? I would I would have called the landlord a long time ago. Because I don't like to be a tattletale. Because I don't want to. What are you talking about tattletale? It's tattletaling. It is tattletaling. No, it is absolutely not tattletaling. I feel like it is. The woman has put you in a situation where she has said there's nothing you can do about it, and the fact that she has framed it as a citizenship question. <laughs> yes. Is just that it, that is a technique of a uh, of a manipulator, right? She's phrased it in such a way that uh, she's going to win the argument, not because her argument has any merit. In a lot of situations that you're describing, you're you're talking about a next door neighbor or somebody that lives three doors down and there's no homeowner homeowners association. And the only recourse you have is either to get all the neighbors together or call the cops. None of those are good. But if you have a landlord who's on your side and there are terms in the lease that say, don't disturb other people, then at least you can, at least you can enforce that lease. And that's not tattling. That's you've tried. You went and talked to them three times you got three increasingly bullshit answers from them. 
you know, you go, you go to the landlord and say, you got to enforce this disturbance clause and she's going to make the same case. The kids are out of school, like have sympathy for us, you know, and I, I don't know how old the kids are, but you can also talk directly to them until, um, you know, until they, you get one of those parents that's like, don't speak to my children. But when you, when you said, you know, that if somebody said this to you, it would, you know, the only thing you could say the is the only thing I could I'm, say, I'm sorry, it'll never happen because, again. Because it's not like I have kids running around my house and playing inside of my house where they live and doing normal things that kids do in a house. This is this is uh, children running around in an office, which is not the same thing. And different rules apply based on where you are. I think everyone would agree with me on that. There are different rules. The rules that you observe in a restaurant are different from the rules that you observe in the privacy of your own bathroom at home. There are things you would this, do in your bathroom that you wouldn't do in a restaurant. And all, this of this is is, <clears throat> all of this is that you are going to immediately take a knee get down in your child's face and use it as a teaching opportunity. You're not going to say children science and put them in their silence box. Mm -hmm. You're going to say, Hey, we've got neighbors and they are also conducting business that we are using a shared space. And in a shared space situation, you need to moderate your, your voices. So even though you're outside, we're still using inside voices. Right. Or, or whatever technique you're going to use, and that is how your kids grow up to be adults that don't bother other people. Correct. Their parents clearly didn't do that. Their parents either said, sit down and shut up, <laughs> or their parents just had another drink, or their parents sat there while, you know, while they sprayed paint all over the living room and said, aren't my kids amazing, or whatever. You know, there's a thousand ways to be a bad parent, mm-hmm. and kind of only one way to be a good parent. Right. But, you know, their ship has sailed. Like, they're living in their own miserable world because uh, those parents have to live with those kids and those kids have to live with their parents. And those people are, those kids are going to grow up to be voters. And those kids are, you know, you're going to end up, you're going to end up meeting one of them somewhere down the line where you're like, hey, we hired you to mow our lawns and you didn't even mow the side yard. And, and it looks like you changed the oil of your lawnmower on my driveway. Uh, we'd like some, we'd like our money back. I don't know why we paid you in advance because we're nice people and assume there wouldn't be a problem. And those people are going to be like, fuck you, let the buyer beware or whatever. You know, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be Biff instead of Marty. Right. And you go, Oh, right. There's shitty people in the world. In fact, the world is full of them. And a lot of them are shitty because they grew up, not being taught by people that weren't taught. And it's kind of a, it's worse now because we've dismantled a lot of the institutions that we used to charge with either teaching us or keeping us in line. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if you were Catholic up until not very long ago, you had a pretty rigid and, hierarchical view of the world Mm -hmm. and you were required to show up for things. You were required to confess your sins. You believed that 
there was infallibility somewhere further up the chain and all of the people that you socialized with were presumably also Catholic and they also followed those same rules. Right. So not very long ago, there were millions and millions of people who were Catholic who saw the world in hierarchical terms and were taught not just by their parents, but by their culture to behave a certain way. And as the, you know, as the 20th century wore on, um, a lot of the work that we've done was identifying cultures like that and saying, you know, again, with a cultural hot take saying, well, that kind of hierarchical thinking is what perpetuates abuse. It's what perpetuates, um, inequality. And we're going to dismantle that. We're going to take the, you know, the church apart. We're going to take its institutions apart. And obviously in some cases, for good reason, right? The church has committed a multitude of sins and, you know, some of them horrific. But we get done with a thing like that, which is kind of the cultural, um, the, the, the cultural sort of emancipation from things like the Catholic church or church in general. Um, the Boy Scouts, the, you know, the, the institutions that we used to have that, that helped our parents by teaching us values that were bigger than just what the, the tone of our nuclear family were. And, you know, there are, I'm sure a lot of people listening who, their gut reaction is, well, all those institutions, the reason that we got rid of them is that they were conservative and white supremacist and, you know, and perpetuated this culture of this culture that we have decided is um, bankrupt because it's patriarchal, racist, capitalist, and we want to take it all apart. We want to tear it all down. And as I've said over and over, I, um, you can look at the Boy Scouts and say there was, um, there was homophobia in the Boy Scouts that persisted beyond the point, the, the cultural vanishing point where homophobia in a thing like the Boy Scouts was no longer acceptable and became intentional because mm -hmm. prior to that vanishing point, uh, the homophobia that was in the Boy Scouts reflected the homophobia that was in the culture. There wasn't, there wasn't a, a specific intentional homophobia in the Boy Scouts that was any different than the homophobia in the cops, the army, the, you know, the church, every institution. But there, the culture changed. Homophobia in institutions started to be a thing we focused on and started to reform. At, and at that point, the Boy Scouts, for some stupid reason, the, the leadership of the Boy Scouts in that moment decided to stand their ground because they were, they were coming from a perspective where they felt like having a gay Boy Scout leader was 
I mean, I, I think probably they felt like it was going to tarnish their brand or they didn't understand that at the, at that point they were on the wrong side of history. Right. And so for too long, they maintained that homophobia and tried to institutionalize it intentionally, not just passively. And the Boy Scouts lost a lot of credibility in that moment. But the Boy Scouts themselves, I mean, the, the, the KGB famously identified the Boy Scouts as a paramilitary organization. And maybe that's only true in the movie Red Dawn. <laughs> I think it's probably that's where I got that from Red yeah. Dawn. But, you know, the Boy Scouts are old-fashioned. And now, you know, the Boy Scouts are open to – it's called the Scouts. You know, it's open to – people of any gender. So the, the boy Scouts have come full circle. They've come all the way around, but things like the boy Scouts, or I'm sorry, things like scouting because there's still girl Scouts. Also, there are a lot of options if you want to go into scouting, but scouting is not what it was, right? It's not when I was a kid in, in elementary school, I mean, not every kid was in scouting, but a lot of us were. Mm -hmm. And it was just another place outside the home where grownups told you how things were and where you were expected to sit quietly while someone taught you how to tie knots. You know, it was something other than just whatever ad hoc rules mom and dad have come up with to keep you quiet long enough to get dinner on the table, which in a, in a lot of cases is just like, here's some games, mm -hmm. but we've, we've torn it all down and, and I sound like a boomer to, to reflect on that even because, because people younger than me see that as a, a, a again, it's a, it's a hot take that the problem in the world, the reason there is still inequality and racism and sexism, despite all of our best efforts, is that it resides in these institutions, some of it overtly, most of it covertly, and that the only solution is to take the institutions out, to tear them down, with the premise that all it takes is to tear them down. The premise that Human beings are by nature not racist, sexist, homophobic. Uh, we're only that way because of these institutions and the, the acculturation that is kind of perpetrated upon us. And if we just eliminate institutions – we will naturally replace those institutions with better ones. We haven't really worked that out. We don't have any like plan in mind. There's nothing to replace the, the scouts with. We're just going to get rid of the scouts. And I'm not saying that, we're, that there's a plan to get rid of the scouts. I'm saying that, that we don't use the scouts anymore. We don't use the church anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't use, you know, these are, these aren't, tools that we use to help shape people into citizens. We're not, I'm, you know, it's, it's, 
it's a common refrain among conservatives that these institutions are actually under attack and being destroyed and so forth. And it's not that at all. It's just that we're, we reject them, but we do it without any, without anything in mind. We, we, we honestly have not replaced any of those institutions with better ones. We've just eliminated them from consideration and with each, with each step, we get more and more into a place where we're just trying to create a civilization, each of us individually alone, checking in with other, you know, checking in with blogs that we agree with. But I mean, when was the last time you and your family all went together in your nice clothes to a place where you gathered with other families in their nice clothes and listened to a speaker. Yeah, I can't can't even think of that. Can't couldn't even right tell now. You. It, it used to happen once a week at least for most Americans. Yes, who observed some sort of you know c- cultural really any it, it it's in a way it's the uh, it's a baseline of of having a culture. Mm-hmm is that once a week you recognize that there's somebody important that's going to talk about something important and we're going to respect that person by putting on our nice clothes and we're all going to go together because uh, because our family is a unit mm-hmm. and we're going to go to a place, a big place purpose built for this, to sit together with other families and listen to someone talk to us about important matters. Now, we could eliminate religion entirely from it and just every week go to a lecture, but we haven't done that. We took the church out, we took, the, we took that observance out, and in, our, in the liberal paradise we meant to create, we did not replace it with a lecture. Every week on Wednesday nights, every family that's practicing positive liberalism is going to meet at town hall and we're going to listen to a different lecturer talk to us about ethics and and morals. Now, why didn't we do that? Like I see that example across the board. We eliminate institutions that used to manage the expectations of citizenship because we felt that they were oppressive or that they perpetuated bad culture but we did not replace them with positive versions of the same thing. We just said, now that the bad is gone, the good will rush in. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you took the institution away and what rushed in was a lazy and unfocused, like egotistical, self-centered, like culture of people that are, that are wealthy, but without any class. And you and I are living next to them now and listening to their dogs and kids. 